Hello, and welcome to the One Thing Podcast, presented by Horton, where we handle employee benefits and risk advisory solutions. My name is Tom Kelly, one half of your hosting team, and with me is... Robin Bettenhausen, the other half. Hey, Robin. Robin, have you gotten a chance to mess around with ChatGPT at all? I did, so I was curious, because mostly because I have kids in school, and I... I kept hearing these rumors about how you could, you know, cheat on tests and things. So I gave it a whirl. It's super interesting. Were you able to cheat on any tests? Well, I didn't have any tests to use, but I basically asked it to write me an eight-line poem about, I think it was like butterflies or something. And it was very factual and interesting. Well, that's funny. So I had it. I just had it. Write me a joke. Do you, you want to hear it? I do. It is, why did the insurance agents start a podcast? Why? Because they wanted to cover all the topics. <laughs> it's not that good. I think it's. I think that's like Laffy Taffy level humor. <laughs> but nevertheless, I think it's undeniable that technology is becoming even more interwoven with our lives, and this includes the human service space. So today, we have a very special guest with us. She's the CEO and founder of Awake Labs. It's a technology startup that's making an impact in the lives of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Coming to us uh, from our neighbor to the north, Canada, I'm very pleased to introduce Andrea Palmer. Andrea, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for being here. Now, I'm lucky enough to have talked with you before and I'm familiar with the work that you do. Um, but for those of us who aren't as privileged as I am to have met you, can you give us a quick rundown on what Awake Labs mission is? Absolutely. Awake Labs, um, our mission at Awake Labs is to help people with disabilities to be seen, heard, and understood, and to live full lives in the community of their choice um, as independently as possible. And so we have, we're starting with a platform that helps manage uh, or measure in real time uh, their emotions and how strong their emotions are. Because often um, when we start to get anxious um, or agitated, it's really hard for us to learn. It's hard for us to um, have, to build trust with people, to uh, feel comfortable in the environment um, that we're living in to get a job, to respond um, uh, calmly <laughs> to people because there's something that's bothering us underneath. And so we help um, understand when that is starting to escalate um, for that individual to be able to start to learn their own self-regulation or learn more about their um, how they're feeling and how to manage that, but also to help direct support professionals and teachers or paraprofessionals or family members to provide um, support to their loved ones um, when they need it the most in order to help them, you know, maybe get more independence and live in their community or be able to actually absorb what's being taught to them in school um, or be able to kind of work through some of that anxiety around getting a job or being around people um, in busy settings and um, maintain their dignity to um, be able to uh, really just, you know, have more control over, feel like they have more control over their own lives in order to um, participate fully in their community. 
you mentioned that you're using data to track that. And I, I feel like as a mom of three kids, I can sometimes sense when they are agitated, but by that point, they're already at agitation point, right? So how are you using technology to track that? Great question. Um, we use a smartwatch. Um, right now we have, yep, exactly. We have um, Fitbit smartwatches and Samsung smartwatches that have our app on it. We have a, a clinically validated and patented algorithm that was designed by uh, scientists at Holland Blurview Hospital here in Toronto. Um, we put that algorithm on the watch. That's what measures a baseline for each of the users. So it has some personalization there and then looks at changes in that baseline over time. Um, and when we detect that that's increasing uh, either too quickly or you know above a, a high threshold, then that's when we send an alert to a mobile phone and that could be used by the person who is um, uh, experience, who's wearing the watch, who's experiencing those strong emotions or one of the people in their care circle um, who would be there to actually step in and check in on them. And very often, I hear, hear what you said, Robin, very often um, we are told that it, they get the notification before they start to notice those subtle behavior changes that go along with that agitation or uh, anxiety or anger. Um, and so it's when interventions are more effective because you're not already in that state where you know you kind of have to let it burn out sometimes. Um, and so being able to measure what's going on in their body and then send that alert is, is how we're uh, collecting that data right now. That's so huge. So I, you know, as a, I'm a dad to a son who is on the autism spectrum and I feel like me and my wife kind of developed like a sixth sense as to like, Oh, we can kind of tell he's, you know, unregulated today. He's a little off. And then we might give the teachers a heads up or something like that. But this was something that I heard about and I was like, Oh my gosh, how do I get him involved in this? Because not everybody has developed that sixth sense. And if they are able to then replicate that with, with technology and then address it earlier, I feel like that could be hugely impactful on just like you said, like his ability to learn and how they can kind of talk him down or, or get them calmed down before it exhibits in like behaviors. Yeah, exactly. And um, even if you did have the sixth sense, if you're in the other room, you might not notice it. Or if, um, you know, someone else is uh, watching him for a little bit or definitely in um, more kind of community-based residential settings where there's direct support staff or at school, um, if there's high turnover or there's just a lot of other things going on, it's hard to understand um, and, and learn those things about that person and always be there to notice them. So um, helping kind of everyone develop that sixth sense faster <laughs> um, is, is part of the um, part of, of what we do. Yeah. And I mean, you can see it, like you said, with DSPs or even like respite care uh, yeah. providers, all of those would be hugely helpful. Definitely. We've also seen, sorry to interrupt you, but we've also seen cases where, um, you know, someone who has a lot of DSPs or support workers in their life um, maybe has a preferred person who that DSP like really understands how they want to be supported and is able to adapt how they interact with them and they build that trust really quickly. Um, but looking over the data and comparing it maybe to some of the staffing schedules or um, incident reports or things like that, they're able to tell that this is a preferred DSP and 
that person was able to train the others to say, this is how this individual actually wants to receive support. And this is how I built the trust. So everyone was able to kind of level up and build that trust with um, that person wow, faster. Yeah. And then it can be tracked over time to say, oh yeah, this is, they are responding to this positively. And we can see it in the biometric data that we're getting. Yes. Okay, so. In this case, the, the person who is um, being supported, who is wearing the watch, actually started to go to her staff and say, uh, I need help or I need a hug or I'm not feeling well. And so, yes, sometimes, you know, it's it's in the data, but then sometimes it just it presents itself in other ways that they were able to build that trust faster, um, develop that relationship where she felt comfortable with them and, and felt like they were actually there to support her and not just control her. Um, and then she graduated out of using it, which is an incredible outcome that they all felt like they had gotten to the point where they could have that communication and build that trust so that they didn't need to um, use the technology to do that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that it it's I mean, obviously, it piqued my interest because it's in the IDD space or intellectual developmental disability space. But, you know, one thing I noticed on your website, and I think you hit the nail on the head, is that that is a space that is traditionally, uh, I think, is an overlooked and underestimated. And I totally agree with that. What is it about that space that you saw as maybe an opportunity or a void um, where you could provide some better service? I think this this comes back to a little bit about the history of Awake Labs of where we came from. And it uh, my co-founder and I were students, and this was part of a school project initially. Um, and as part of that project, we went out to the community and you know established here's a problem, here's maybe how we could solve it and really try to understand how that problem exists in the lives of people. So we talked to a lot of people in the IDD community, in the autism support community, uh, people with autism, people, uh, family members or loved ones who are autistic. And um, we came up with this idea and then the course ended and the community kept coming back to us and emailing us and saying, Oh, but you're really doing this, right? Like we actually need it. We actually need this right. thing. This that isn't you just said. proof of concept, right? This is yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you're, we're, we're gonna do this together, right? So there was that um, immediate buy-in, and for people who we spoke to about it, um, who have lived it, who have either lived it themselves or they have lived um, in supporting family members or uh, maybe worked in this industry, uh, they get it. And they get it so quickly. And I think that that was one of the um, the drivers that really kept us going in developing this because we, we just knew there was so much need there. Um, it took us a long time to figure out exactly what it needed to look like in order to be useful in certain situations. As an example, we like initially, like as soon as we detected an increase, we would send an alert. And if you told me as soon as I was like scared or something that I was that that had happened, like I know, of course, like give me some time to to figure out how it's actually going. So we had to adjust, you know, certain things about it in order to make it more useful. But then in 2018, I, um, I uh, sustained a, a concussion, a, a brain injury. It wasn't my first, it, um, but it was the, the one that maybe impacted me the most. Um, I'm still have post-concussion symptoms, even all these years later. Um, but I know how quickly the, if I was already overstimulated or, 
or if something, you know, started to overstimulate me, how quickly I could get kind of agitated and then how quickly again, any, any other overstimulation would like send me into that spiral. Right. And we didn't have Awake Labs wasn't around. Uh, we didn't have the platform the way that it is today. But I really understand how valuable it is to have that check of just being like, oh, something's happening here. You're just elevated. like even just like yeah. snap out of whatever is going on in your brain that you're ruminating on or the overstimulation, uh, maybe go outside, remove yourself from that environment. Um, and so that also was just like, it would have, it would have um, not necessarily made me heal faster, but it would have made me heal better and feel better as I was kind of going through that recovery. And I think that that's a really big thing that, you know, um, in the IDD space, the intellectual developmental disability or the reason that people are receiving supports, it's not, it's not to get rid of anxiety or stress altogether. It's to give them more tools to be able to manage it so they live better and they live happier and they're able to do the things that they want to do. That's a perfect lead into the next question that we had, which is really how do you help individuals set goals or achieve smart goals by using the Awake Lab platform? Because I think you had shared that story about someone who sort of graduated off of it. So there obviously were some goals in place. So tell us a little bit about, about that. So um, we will get as involved <laughs> with people as they kind of want us to be. Um, but we really also want to respect people's own agency and privacy and um, ability to invite us into their space. And we recognize my background. I'm an engineer. I am not a counselor or a, um, a DSP or a psychologist or, you know, someone who uh, is quote unquote, an expert in this space. And I also don't know the people who are adopting the smartwatch. So there's, we work with the people who kind of bring this, um, this is like a roundabout way of saying it, but like, if they think that this person, John, would benefit from using the smartwatch, we work with John if he wants us to, and or his support team in order to understand how it would benefit him, to how it would fit in his care plan, um, what goals that he wants to have, as much or as little as they want us to be, because we are not the experts. We have not um, met John in most cases or provided support to him or know what he likes or doesn't like or what his triggers are. So we try really hard not to um, overimpose <laughs> in those environments. And then on like the privacy side, we only collect the information that we need um, to provide the service. And we don't ask for more data than um, is required, especially from the personal uh, perspective. And then we we help trying to, um, from like the care team perspective, give them more, more tools and more understanding, but really let them determine how it's being used um, and how how John wants to, to use it in those cases. Yeah, Letting yeah. the individual have ownership over their own goals and how they're feeling about it. I love that. Right. And plus, if, if you make a goal that you want to do something, but maybe there are some obstacles in the way of achieving that goal, it's hard to manage those obstacles unless we can identify what the triggers for them are. And that's, mm -hmm. I feel like, 
where Wake Labs comes in and can be hugely impactful to say, here's where you're being affected. What can we do to manage that to get you where you want to be? Yep, That's absolutely. All. And as you said before, Tom, like often um, you say like behavior is communication. And so for people who maybe aren't, um, don't communicate verbally or uh, don't communicate verbally super clearly or, you know, a lot, um, understanding how they're feeling or what they mean through their behavior is a big part of that. And so because, you know, they might have uh, an outburst or something like that, it's not, it doesn't mean that they want to do that. (laughs) It means that something's going on and they're trying to get your attention and tell you it or something's going on inside of them. And so um, it's also helping them understand that like this big, maybe you're not getting a job or you're not, you don't want to go to the mall because you don't want to have this like big kind of behavior, but helping them understand that this is a way to um, help you kind of manage that and know when you need to leave or when might be a good time to, to do those things that you want to do um, while maintaining the dignity of not having that outburst um, or needing to communicate in those ways because there's something you can't control. Yeah. And I I think it's very cool that, and very applicable uh, in the IDD space, but you mentioned also like you see the effects of it based on, you know, post-concussion symptoms. So how do you see Awake Labs technology kind of branching out even further from the IDD space? I mean, it's a good question and it's definitely something that we, um, we've talked about, like, I think we use the term now cognitive disabilities instead of just the IDD space. So we're kind of including brain injury and uh, dementia um, care in, in that uh, collective pot as well, or whatever term. Um, but uh, there's, it's not because there's not enough need in the IDD space. There is so much need, not only for um, what we do, but also to help people understand more about what's going on for other assistive technology for integration. So um, there is opportunity to expand outside the IDD space, but there's also so much need for innovation in this space as well. Um, but yeah, I mean that for for a lot of people who have anxiety, um, it can be a really big barrier to uh, interacting with other people or going um, out or again, learning or building relationships. Um, but especially when it, um, in care situations for, for people who have, um, either like a big transition in their health, um, maybe they were diagnosed with a chronic condition or, um, something like that, then there's always more that you can do to try and like feel better, (laughs) Um, emotionally, even though there's a lot going on, there's still like, you know, stuff you can control, stuff you can't control. Um, so there's, I think that there's a lot of opportunity both in the IDD space and outside of it. Um, and then we've also had some conversations with folks, um, in the child welfare, um, system or space, uh, both child and adult welfare about, um, you know, reuniting families, about giving more tools for, um, kind of, uh, management of, of those emotions to help people be able to come back together. Um, and then also like 
our caregivers, who's <laughs> a caregiver shortage, but also our caregivers are like very, very burnt out. Um, and both in the IDD space and in the aging space, there's a caregiver shortage and we need to find more ways to help people to live more independently where we can not to eliminate the need for human caregivers, but to um, keep the humans to provide things that, you know, humans can uniquely do while there are other kind of accessible or enabling technology that allow um, them to still live in those uh, independent environments as for as long as possible. Yeah, to offer supports. And I think it's a great, uh, a great point that you make. Um, even with, I would say for my kids who are neurotypical, they can't always articulate their emotions, you know? So anything like that, it, I mean, in an extreme situation, like families reuniting and things like that, it could be hugely helpful. Yeah. A friend of mine said recently, you know, we use the term calm down so often, like when someone's starting to get overwhelmed, whether it's someone who's neurotypical or not, um, we say like, calm down, calm down, we'll figure this out, whatever it is. But how do you know? how to calm down when you don't actually know what calm feels like. I think we do a lot to help people understand when they're getting stressed or angry or scared or something, but like, what does calm, what is my body doing when I'm calm and how understanding that will help them return to that state better. Um, I think it's a really important thing. So that's something I think about all the time now when we're, when we're developing the, the product and um, adding new features is, making sure that we um, think about that, about what we're asking people to do and like, does it actually make sense? Is it a skill that they have or can we help them build it? What are some of those new features? And I guess as a broader question, how do you see technology continuing to evolve and be used within the IDD space? Oh, big question. <laughs> I mean, I think to answer the second part first, um, there's so many opportunities for technology in the IDD space. I think we have kind of just started to scratch the surface when we think about smart homes and um, things like that to help people live more independently, um, maybe have a say or control over who comes in their house or not with a ring a doorbell, um, control the temperature of their apartment through a smart thermostat, um, I learned recently accidentally that there are smart irons um, that turn <laughs> off if you leave them on for too long wow. without using it. Uh, so thankfully that hotel had adopted them. <laughs> um, but all of those things are things maybe we take for granted and we're able to put into our own homes, um, Alexa or you know Google Home or things like that, that have an opportunity to help people um, in the IDD space as well, but those are just like getting us to maybe parity or equity with um, uh, everyone who um, has more control over their lives. Um, a big barrier to that though is still having access to internet in those homes, um, having access to a smartphone or a smart computer. But there's a lot of, there are a lot of programs and funding to enable people to get Wi-Fi or LTE or whatever it is in their home in order to adopt that. But one of the barriers to it is making sure people know that there are resources out there in order to do that. There are assistive technology lending libraries. So if you think something might be useful to you in every single state, there is somewhere you can go to borrow 
a tool for a period of time in order to understand if it would work for you or not. And then those people often also understand the funding structures to get it to you. Um, and then states have been at, um, allowing more or creating more uh, ways for people to get assistive technology covered through some of the home community-based service waivers um, and really pushing for, um, for tech adoption in those spaces because as um, uh, another friend, uh, Brian Hart from LADD based in Ohio, he says that, you know, even if we had a billion dollars more in Ohio to actually um, improve the human services industry or the IDD care industry, we don't have 80 more thousand DSPs coming up um, who will be able to provide those services. So we need to actually look to um, assistive technology in order to provide those services because we just don't have enough humans and human capital in order to, um, to do that. In terms of what we're doing at Awake Labs, I mean, there's so much that we can still do. Um, right now we have the smartwatch app, we have the mobile app, we have like some data collection in the mobile app, but there are often these like long and complex care plans and strategies that the team has put in place that maybe sit in a binder on a shelf somewhere. Um, so putting that into the app so it's at their fingertips. So when they say or they see that there is an escalation happening, they can remember um, what this person, what works for this person, what this person wants to, um, how they want to receive care in that moment when they're already starting to get escalated. Um, and then we, we base it off of the biometrics that we're measuring in the moment, but there's a lot of opportunity to pull in other sources of things that we know create stress or anxiety or can affect it for sure. Like, how are you eating? How are you sleeping? How is the weather? Um, did you get exercise in or did you not? So there's a lot of opportunity, I think, as well to pull in some of that information to help people um, better understand how they're feeling and when it might be a good day or a bad day in order to engage in certain activities. Yeah. That, and I think that's hugely impactful, too, because with DSP work, oftentimes it's 24-hour care and we've got shifts and people hand off and the communication may not be there. Uh, this person seems a little de uh, deregulated today or maybe elevated. So having a way to track that and then identify triggers can only help. Um, and then it's funny, you mentioned, uh, you know, the assistive technology in smart homes, which I think a lot of us think of as just like, oh, luxury or look at this cool thing. I can control my you know, my lights or my temperature from my phone is going to could be make or break or make all the difference in the world to somebody else. So that's uh, very interesting to hear. And I never thought about it that way. Um, well, Andrea, I mean, we can't thank you enough for joining us today. And as we bring this thing in for a landing, what is the one thing that you would like IDD providers to know about Awake Labs? Oh, um, I think maybe I'll expand it just from Awake Labs to um, to technology in general. Um, I would say that the the one thing is that you don't have to have all the answers, but it is so beneficial to be asking the questions of what can we be doing um, either to solve this problem or to help this person live more independently. Uh, there are other places you can go to get those resources or consultation or things like that. But um, it's really kind of shifting that mindset of like, what else is there or what opportunities do we have to help this person live more independently? 
um, knowing that, you know, you have a trillion things on your plate as well, whether it's with staffing shortages and recruitment and training and things, but making sure that we um, are, are not letting that affect kind of how we're providing that direct support and really trying to make um, that piece better for the person who's using it and bringing in then the people who, you know, maybe do the tech setup and um, will be able to provide the, the support there. So I think that there's just a lot of opportunities and, um, and very often we feel like we need to have all the answers, but if you give empower people to also have um, ask those questions, then um, there's a lot of room for creativity and innovation. Perfect. That was perfect. Awesome. Love it. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. Well, thank you for tuning in and we'll see you next time on the One Thing Podcast.